welcome to contracts two. Last semester we focused all about the structure of the contract. We talked about uh, mutual assent and consideration and all the requirements that are necessary for a proper contract to be made and some of the rules that happens if a proper contract is not made. This semester we're talking about how to define or rather understand the meaning of a contract or at least that's really where we're starting. So ultimately, this lecture, we focused on the principles of interpretation. And what I mean by that are what are the rules or what are some of the ways that we can interpret how the parties, what the parties intended when they developed a contract. So a long time ago, uh, 19th century, so the 1800s, contracts were governed in a sense by the meeting of the minds and now we don't use the meeting of the minds we use a term called well there is no such thing as the meeting of the minds ultimately we just say they did not agree to the terms of the contract and what this means is that if there was no meeting of the minds meaning they did not agree to the terms well then the case would be sorry i'm still thinking a civil procedure then the contract was invalid uh, it was not enforceable. This changed from the subjective approach to a completely objective approach where we look at what a third party or really what a reasonable person would assume when they saw a term. And what that third person could assume when they saw the term is really how the contract is going to be interpreted. This works all right until you can't agree and then this reasonable person also disagrees what both parties say. In those instances then you may be enforcing a contract where nobody had agreed to it in the first place. And that's not really something that you want to have going on. So this changed to a modified approach and the modified approach is really outlined in section 201 of the restatement of contracts and really what we're trying to figure out here is which meaning is going to be the binding definition of the contract so there's a few rules that we have to follow or that we could follow uh, first rule is when the parties agree of the meaning of a term well then that is going to be the meaning pretty straightforward if they agree it's right the second rule that we have is a little bit more confusing to understand it's, we will, when there is not an agreement, if the parties disagree as to the meaning, we're going to follow the meaning of party A if party A did not know of party B's intentions, and party B did know or had reason to know of party A's intentions. So there's two parts of this. And the reason for it is because A didn't know, but B did. And so if B did know, well then, we can understand that B had the opportunity to alter the agreement to what they think it should have been. And because B didn't choose to alter the agreement, well then we can assume that A's understanding was a fair understanding at the time of the contract. That's really the second rule. Our third rule is that if there was no agreement, there's uh, the parties disagree as to what their intent of the contract was, and A doesn't know 
party B's intentions, and B didn't know of party A's intentions, well then there's no contract. So that really goes back to the original rule where if there's no agreement and nobody knew what the other person was thinking or had reason to know what the other person was thinking, then a contract cannot be enforced. So those are our three main rules. There's one fourth rule that we just follow. It's a bit different, but it just says when the parties agree to a term's definition, even if that term is a little weird, well, then that is the definition of the term. This is a little bit funny. Uh, for example, the parties could agree in the contract that a shoe is a hat. Well, obviously, as a third person, a shoe does not look like a hat, but the parties did agree that a shoe is a hat. At least that's how it's going to be defined in terms of the contract. That's fine according to this rule. The issue that you may have with that though is it's not very practical. Well, why would you have somebody define a shoe as a hat? It would be much simpler to just define it as it is. And occasionally there may be a judge who focuses on the plain language more than this rule, because this is the restatement, it doesn't need to be followed. Sometimes the plain language is going to be more important to the judge than following this rule. So we have three cases that really outline how this rule works and functions. We got Joyner v. Adams. A brief overview of this is that they were on land development and they were trying to define what the word developed mean was developed putting in sewage lines putting in roads but not having a house built yet or was developed to have the house already built that was really the debate between these two and we're seeing did the other party know or have reason to know what the other person meant our big lesson here is we should just clearly define what develop means. And we see this with our next case, uh, Frig Element. Uh, I apologize for butchering that name. Importing Co. versus BNS, International Sales Corp. And what they're trying to figure out here is what is chicken? Defining chicken in this contract is a chicken a young chicken within a certain age that's easy to cook in certain meals or is a chicken all kinds of chicken and there are several ways that we can actually determine so the purpose of this case is to figure out some of the ways that the courts look at how to determine whether or not another party knew or had reason to know what the definition was so we talked about what that rule was earlier. Now we're actually seeing it in a little bit of application of fact-finding. So some of the things that the court will look for is whether or not there's witness testimony to the meaning, whether or not there's plain language as to the meaning. Uh, they'll look at what everybody in that market or that field of expertise uses when they use that word. For example, does everybody in that field use chicken to mean a young chicken, or does everybody in that field use chicken to mean all chickens? And then finally, we can also look at a dictionary meaning, for example, if it's provided in the contract. Our final case is 
uh, CNJ Fertilizer versus Allied Mutual Insurance Co. What happened here is that there was a term that was clearly defined in the contract of what to do in the instance of a burglary. And in that term, it said there needed to be damage to the place of entry. Well, in this instance, there was no damage to the place of entry, but there was interior damage. And even the agent said when this claim was denied initially and that he was surprised that the claim was denied. What we learned from this case is that even if terms are defined, as we've been saying throughout this episode, terms should be properly defined. Even if it is properly defined, there may be an instance where it's not an enforceable term. And that's going to be if there's no reason, well, there needs to be a reasonable expectation. And what that means is the plaintiff must reasonably expect the term to mean what it means. So, for instance, with burglary, we it, this definition that they had did not match the current law, and it didn't really match what people naturally thought of when they thought of burglary. And so the term should have been written out differently to account for burglar, burglary as it was, but also to keep out people from doing it within the company because that was the whole point of this clause. So those are really our big takeaways. We've got four rules that we've talked about. Uh, when the parties agree, that is the meaning. Uh, if A's, we go for A's meaning. If A did not know B's meaning and B did know of A's meaning. If nobody knew the other person's meaning and had reason to know, ha did not have reason to know, well then there is no contract. And parties can agree on a meaning, even if that meaning is something else. We talked about a few cases. Those cases really listed out this rule in our first case. The second case talked about how we can figure out those, whether or not a party knew or had reason to know. And the fourth case, sorry, the third case is even if all that is done and done properly, it may not end up ultimately working out because the reasonable expectation was not there. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Law Schoolers. Before I let you go, there are four things I want to say. The first thing is if you enjoyed these episodes and if you enjoyed the website, I would invite you to go and join Law Schoolers Pro. And you can do that by going to lawschoolers.com slash join. It's a way for you to support us, but there's also a lot of features there that I think you will enjoy. Second thing is that nearly all of our episodes are unedited. The only ones that aren't are pre-law materials, and the reason for that is so you can actually see the legal material in its raw form as I'm learning it as well. The third thing is that the information contained in these episodes are specifically only for educational purposes. They're not to be used as legal advice. And with that, the fourth thing is, if it is used as legal advice, we are not liable. That is, law schoolers is not liable for any legal outcomes. Thank you again for enjoying the show. Have a good one.